Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I can't tell you for sure if it's true, but I could have sworn I heard some late 80s, early 90s rap beats. James, did you have some beats on that drum back there? There was James was playing the... He was playing the beatbox here, and I thought I heard, I thought that's what I heard, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just, I felt like that. I was wanting to sing worship songs, and all I could start thinking about was Run DMC. So, it's tricky. I don't know why I was like, we worship you, it's tricky to rock over. And I was like, why am I keep doing that? And I realized it was because of the beats in the back, so, no. Hey, listen, I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, thank you so much for, um, for being here. Um, I want to say from the get-go that this message today is a little different than I usually do most of the time. And I always like to tell you this because, uh, let me say something, any, any pastor that would come before you and not use his own work um, is, and not tell you that is a little suspect. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, if someone will just regurgitate someone else's thoughts, and not let you know that. It's, it's kind of, um, I don't know, I, I see it as being something that's kind of unethical and immoral, and I just see a lot of issues with it. So today, uh, what I usually do is, I'll tell you what I do when I study. Uh, I, I, when I, when I, I go to the text, I read the text over and over again, then I look around the text, and then I start looking for social cues. I start looking for um, what's called the hermeneutics of the text, which is all the surrounding things, uh, what's going on, what the time frame, what it, you know, what, where are we at here in the, in, in, the, in the history of the situation? What are some cues that we have here? What's going on? Um, and I kind of build around that. And then, then what I do is, is I usually go and I start looking at some commentaries and what other theologians have thought. Not that I'm a theologian, but they are. And I start looking at all the different theologians. And then I usually go and I'll listen to three or four sermons, usually by someone else to say, hey, listen, that I trust and I know the biblically sound. And so I'll listen to those things. And this week, this week, uh, uh, one, one of the points uh, that I heard on a sermon, I was like, that is too good not to share with everyone. Um, and so the second point I have today is something that is not my original thought. It's, it's actually from, from a, a person that I, the sermon was so good, I was like, I cannot not tell them that. <laughs> because I had looked at the text that we're looking at today, I had looked at it a million times, and I had always looked at it from a, from a and it, this is a deeper theological thing, but I had always looked at it from the symbolism of what the miracle meant, which is what our first text point is going to be. The symbolism, um, the foretelling of what the text actually meant. And then I had totally skipped over, and let me say something to you, a lot of pastors can do this. We can get so high and mighty in theology that, that we're, we're, we're not very good on earth. Are you with me? And I, I just, I had skipped over the human aspect of the story. And this pastor hit it on the head and I was like, wow. Um, the message today is one that could have been preached in 15 different ways because there's so much depth in this text. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, hang out with it for four or five weeks. So we are going to have one message today. Let me give you a quick background. Uh, the background is, is that the writer of the book of John, we're going through the book of John. This is our fifth week going through the book of John. The writer, uh, is, is described as the one that Jesus loved. 
He's answering the questions for Christians that are in Ephesus. And his is not a synoptic gospel. That means that he did not have all of the background information. He just dove right in to the text. I've told you that the first 12 chapters are all that he did. The book of signs and the 13 through 21 is a book of glory. And today we're going to see the first sign. Today is the first, the first thing he did as part of his ministry. And we're going to look at that. The main goal of the book is this, and I've told you this every week, and I, if you're going to, don't you forget everything else, remember this. The main goal of the book is found in John 20, 31. It says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The text we're looking at today is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and here's what it says. It says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother <clears throat> was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I want to stop right there and say, that's kind of what my mom, I think, would have done too. I'd have said, woman, my time has not yet come. And made some bold proclamation of how, you know what I'm saying, I would have told her that. And then I think she would have said, uh, okay, okay, hey, do whatever he says. Just do that. He'll fix it. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense? There's a lot more depth there than we can get into. But, um, but. Jesus was obviously uh, on his father's time frame, not everyone else's. Standing by were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. That's a huge point. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant followed his instructions, and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it come, could come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. One of my close, close student buddies that I have been buddies with since he was in middle school is getting married next year. And they have made the horrible mistake of asking me to do the wedding. Um, Mason is getting married to one of my, he's, uh, I, let me say something to this. Let me, let me, I want to clarify this. My wife always makes fun of me because I am really bad at setting people up. Are you with me? I'm really bad at setting people up. All right. Now, if Mason was here, I wouldn't tell this story, but he's not here, so I'm telling it. And he's not going to watch online because he probably doesn't even have a Facebook. But listen, I, I, Mason came to talk to me a couple years back and said, hey, listen, you know, uh, you know, I need some direction in my life and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I just don't want to settle. I want to, I, I really do want a godly woman, right? He said that, Shelly, he said that. 
want a godly woman. And like, like God talking to Job, I said, have you considered God's servant Morgan? Now Morgan is a beautiful girl, very sweet. And Morgan uh, was in the middle of school and they went out on a few dates. And Morgan said, look, I really, really like you. and You're a nice person. I just don't have time for this. I don't have time. I'm right in the middle of nursing school. I don't have time. However, my twin sister Madison thinks you're hot. <laughs> and Mason, like any red-blooded American male, said, oh, really? <laughs> Needless to say, on the 20th, right? 20th of May, is that when? 20, May 20th next year, I get to do the wedding of Madison and Mason. Doesn't that count as a win for me? <laughs> they are identical twins. Doesn't that count as a win? I'm 0 for 12 then. If that doesn't count, I'm 0 for 12. I'm 0 for 12. Don't, I, I get an assist. I get an assist. I'm 0 for, I'm 11, I'm, oh, I'm 0.5 and 11.5, okay. But uh, no, listen. Just like they're right now in the middle of planning all of these things for the wedding. And here's the thing I know that's very important. It's important for both families to throw an incredible wedding celebration. It's important that people, when they come to the wedding, feel welcome. It's important that when people come to the wedding, they have an, a good time. And so what happens is that they take months and months and months and months and months to plan all of these things for a celebration for the beautiful couple and the parents. And I know this because we went through it. The parents sit back and just hope that nothing screws up during on that day. Are you with me? And they spend all kinds of time and more importantly, all kinds of money to make sure that the beautiful couple have an incredible experience. They do. But but I want to tell you something. Also included in that is they want the people that attend the wedding also to have a great, fun, incredible experience. And I was the same way whenever my daughter got married a year and a half ago. I wanted to make sure that everyone at the wedding had a great time. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of like that at my own house whenever you come to my house. I'm kind of like that. You know, we have small group often or we'll have, we, we bought a house so that we could host people. And so, um, and our house is very open, which we like, but we want to host people. And I really like hosting people. And so one of the things that's important to me is that when you come to my house, I want to make sure that you have plenty of food and plenty of drink and that you're enjoying yourself and that the temperature is good. And you know what I'm saying? I want you to know, and when you come to the house, I want you to feel I want you to feel welcome, but I want you to have a good time as well. Are you with me? Take that and times it by 10. And that was the importance of this wedding celebration back in their day. Because it was a cultural thing, a deep cultural thing. 
they would actually think about this. Think about uh, Shelly's over here thinking that she's going to have, you know, she's going to have rehearsal dinner and then one day and it's going to be over. Shelly, they would do weddings for days and days. They would have three, four, five days. It's interesting. I went to Guyana, South America, uh, whenever I was uh, around the age of 20. I told you guys the Guyana story about the bubbles on my shirt. Um, when I did, when I did, uh, tried to wash clothes in Guyana in a sink. But anyway, I was there in Guyana and we stumbled upon a wedding celebration and the wedding celebration had been going on for several days. They told us, and we, we were seeing the ending culmination on that Saturday evening of the wedding celebration. And that's what happened in this culture. This wasn't a, hey, we got to be there by two, we're out by five. This was a few day situation here. It was very, very important in their culture. And it was important that the name of the father, all right, the name of the father was not, was not, um, was not disrespected or, or, or was not shamed in any way or the name of the couple was not shamed in any way by them running out of food or drink because it would have been seen as, hey, they couldn't afford this or couldn't afford that. Are you with me? And that's what it was like. That's what it was like. So what had happened here, what happened was that they had run out of wine. How did they make wine? Well, they would, they would allow the grapes to ferment and then they would mix it with water. Yes, it was 100% alcohol. If anyone tells you any different, they're not, they don't understand the Bible, they don't understand the text, and they don't understand the culture back then. It was 100% alcohol. It really was. You, you may say, well, Pastor Barry, how do you know it was 100% alcohol? Because here's what they would do. Back when I was growing up, I had a, a friend of ours that we would go over to their house. And the dad, her dad was a, was a pretty severe alcoholic. And his wife would do something and I would watch her. He would say, can you fix me a drink? And she'd say, yeah, I'll fix you a drink. And he would pour very little alcohol in and a bunch of water. Because, now why is that? Now, if, if, if he had not started drinking yet, then he would have, you know, he, he would say, man, this tastes awful. What is this? This is like watered down. What is this? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that he was so lit that he didn't care if it was watered down or not because he didn't know the difference. And what I want to get you to understand is, is that in their day, here's what they would do. They would fix and they would serve the best drink first. And then as everyone started feeling kind of good, they would start watering it down. Are you with me? So they would last longer. So we know it had alcohol content in it because he said this. He said, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. They would serve the best first, but the best came last. So here Jesus is met with a dilemma. He was met with a dilemma of what to do. And what we see that he does is actually a foretelling of his mission. And I don't want you to miss this. 
It was, this is your first point, Jesus' miracle would foretell his mission. Let me explain it to you. 20 or 30 gallon stone jars. Let me say this. They were used in ceremonial washing. They were used in ceremonial cleaning. They were used to purify someone. Literally the water was used to purify. Now they would use stone. They would use stone because they thought the stone wouldn't become unclean. And you know what they would call this water that was in the stone jars? They would literally call it the living water. Stone jars, 20 to 30 each, living water. They were used for cleansing. They were used for absolving one of their uncleanliness. It was a vessel that they considered to be undefiled. Jesus then turned water into wine. And Jesus, in his act, would foretell the road that he would follow and the mission that he would have, because I don't want you to miss this. Jesus, the undefiled vessel, turned the living water into wine. John 4.14 says this. Let's look at it. It says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. It says, for God made Christ, here it is, who never sinned. He never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with Christ, with with God through Christ. He made Christ who never sinned. Another translation says he made Christ who was undefiled to be an offering for our sin. In Matthew chapter 26, we see this. It says, Jesus is the last service, says he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for life for it. And he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood. What were they drinking? They were drinking wine, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. The symbolic wine would be, would be used symbolically as a sacrifice for the sin. The symbolic wine, the new wine, the best wine would now be used to cleanse us from our sins. His blood that he poured out on the cross, the blood, he said, this is my blood. When we do communion, that's what we say, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the blood of Christ shed for you. It's symbolic that the wine would be what happened. And the undefiled jars would be the undefiled Christ. His miracle was symbolic of his mission. His miracle was symbolic of the eventual death. His miracle was something where we can look at now and we can say, you know what? Those jars, I want you to know this, hear this. Those jars that were used for those ceremonial cleansings, those jars that were used, those water jars that they would use to clean off, all of those water jars are worthless now except to hold water or whatever else. But they're worthless now. 
Why are they worthless now? Because they're no longer needed. Because Jesus has now sacrificed. The undefiled has now sacrificed for us all. Are you with me? His miracle would foretell his mission. Here's the next thing I want you to see. And I want to pivot here. And this is the one where I told you where the guy kind of blew me away here. And I, I guess I'd never, I knew this in my heart. I knew this deep down in my soul, but I never considered it. And it's this. Jesus will do all he can to save us from shame and humiliation. I want you to hear that. Jesus will do all he can to save you and to save me from shame and humiliation. Can I tell you this? And I've never, I I guess I knew it, but I never considered it. Our shame and humiliation is important to Christ. It is. Look at the situation that the family found themselves in. One of the most important days of their lives. One that had been planned, waited for, on and on. And they run out of wine. They'd be the talk of the town. They'd be the story that would, people would talk about for years and years. This family couldn't afford to entertain their guest. This family couldn't afford to provide for people that they invited. This family spent too much. This family, this family, this family. And then Jesus showed up. We've seen this before. We've seen this We know this. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this several weeks from now. Let's look at John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. If you don't think Jesus cares about our shame and humiliation. John chapter 8 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Here you go. Let me me get over there to it. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A A crowd soon gathered and sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman. Okay, I want you guys to declare, I want you to hear this. Who had been caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in the act, right in the middle of the act. And they put her in front of the crowd. And they said, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, because they were wise, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Do you think Jesus is concerned about our shame and humiliation? Do you think Jesus wants to shield us from it? I want to tell you something about, and this is something that I was kind of blown away by too. In the story, I always focus on Jesus' mother. I focus on Jesus. I focus on the water and the wine. And I focus on the best wine at last. And I focus on the theological implications of those things. But I want to tell you something. Can I tell you something? 
the people that would have had the most shame and humiliation never even knew what was going on. And who would that be? The couple getting married. They never even knew. John 2, 9 and 10 says this. John 2, 9 and 10 says, When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine, he said. Then uh, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. I want you to understand something. The couple never knew. They didn't know. All they did was like, well, yeah, all right. And then they went back to dancing and stuff. They never knew. Jesus cared about their shame and humiliation. He cared about the adulterous woman's shame and humiliation. And time and time and time again, he has cared, and we've seen it in the text, of other people's shame and humiliation. But the question I have for you is, is how many times has Jesus moved on your behalf and you didn't even know it? How many times has Jesus moved on your behalf and you never even had a clue? How many situations has he moved and to keep you from shame and humiliation and you never even had a clue? How many things has he arranged in your life to save you from a shame that maybe you even deserve? How much shame has he shielded you from? And we didn't even realize it. You didn't and I didn't. Jesus cares And we'll do all he can to save us from shame and humiliation. The final thing I want to share with you is this. Jesus often works best in our emptiness. Jesus often works best in our emptiness. When we have the greatest need, Jesus does his greatest work. The wine was gone. It was empty. It had been all poured out to the guests. And I want you to understand something. It was all gone. There was a crisis. Uh, There was a situation where there could be shame and there could be humiliation. And his mom came to him and everything was empty. They were out. It was over. It had been poured out. It was done. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. How many times has he showed up in your life? When we are too are poured out, when we are, we are poured out, when we are broken, when we are empty, Jesus seems to do his best work. I love Isaiah 61.3. Here's what it says. Isaiah 61.3 says this. Isaiah 61.3 says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give you a crown of what? Of beauty for ashes. He gives you beauty for ashes. Beauty. For ashes. The ashes was a symbol of mourning. It was the mourning time. The beauty he gives us for ashes. In ashes. And uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10 says this. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10 says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. It's Paul talking about the thorn in his side. He says, And each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in insults and hardships and persecutions and trouble that I suffer for Christ. And here it is. For when I am weak, then I am strong and you are strong 
not because of your own strength, but because of what Christ is doing with in you. I think about the scene of Peter at the beach. When was Peter the most powerful? Right after the scene at the beach when he had been restored after being literally ashamed and completely broken by his denial of Christ. I can tell you in my own life, when I have been closest to God and whenever I have grown the most, it wasn't when everything was going great. It was the tornado in 1999. It was January 14th, 2005 when my dad passed away. And it was basically the whole year in 2010 when my daughter was struggling so much. When we are empty, Jesus does his greatest Work. And I want to add one more point to this, and I want to tell you something else too, because in the text, can we pull up, can we pull back up the text uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10? It says, and go to the next slide if you would. It says, each time he said, My grace is all you need. I want to tell you something, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this if you don't get anything else today. I want you to know this Jesus' grace to you can bring out and can and produce much greater things in your life than you could have ever produced on your own. His grace in you can produce more than you could have ever produced on your own. Here's the hard part. You have to allow yourself to go through the brokenness. And no one wants to broken, be broken because we all want to be okay. And what what Paul is saying is, is he's saying, I have now understood that I celebrate in my brokenness because when I am brokenness, the grace of Christ comes through. And because I am weak, because of the grace of Christ, now I am strong. Jesus works best in our brokenness. So whatever you're going through, don't be afraid. Don't fear. And don't worry, because Christ works best in our emptiness. Embrace it. Look for him. I know you'll find him. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for who you are, and we praise you for all the great things that you've done in our life. Lord, I'm so thankful that you love us enough that you are mindful of, of our shame and humiliation and you do a work you do a work when sometimes we don't even realize it when sometimes we don't even know so God let us always be mindful let us look for your fingerprints in our lives and let us be people that when we see those fingerprints that we raise you up and glorify you And then we point others to you like an arrow. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and sing our final song this morning. Let's stand up. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.